if, uh, if uh, uh, you're wondering, we got, we, we're going to have some opportunities for um, the, the teenage guys are definitely more than welcome, actually strongly encouraged to join us uh, in that young men's class. Um, it's a super important what we're talking about in that course, um, and it, it's, it's just it's essential. Um, and if you're a dad and you're like, I, don't, I, don't, I just have girls or I don't have any kids, like I said, if you don't have any kids, that's okay because um, you've got an ex- opportunity to, to set an example for those around you. And if you're an older gentleman and you're in the workforce still especially, uh, you've got an opportunity to mentor those men around you. And if you're out of the workforce, then you're going to have grandkids and you're going to have an opportunity to mentor those. Um, and if you've got daughters, uh, here's the thing. Um, your daughters are looking at you, and they're going to marry someone just like you. And so uh, if we mess that up, <laughs> it's on us. And uh, we, we ain't got nobody to go back on because um, we were the ones bringing them up in the Lord. And so, man, it's, it's just so, so important. And uh, ladies, we love, I, I, I love multi-generational classes as much as we love to split off our students and, and move them junior and senior high into another world to study. I love multi-generational classes because there's such wisdom that they can gain from adults, but adults, there's so many things we can learn from our youth and the things they're going through that we didn't, um, that we love combining these things. So it's absolutely appropriate for the young ladies uh, to join their moms on the, in the women's study, or them all to go to the discipleship together as a, as a family. Uh, what an opportunity um, to do that. And so just, just know that we're intentionally doing these things to combine you guys, um, to get you to study together, to read God's Word together, to pray together. Um, yeah, what we're supposed to do as a family, right? And so we're, we're looking forward to that. It's, it's, man, it's so much fun. It just is. So please be a part of those things with us, all right? Let's review just a little bit. Uh, last week was already the, the first week of the new year. By next week, the, the month of January is half over. I know, it's crazy how that goes. That means spring's almost here, right? That's, that's our next thing to look forward to. So, so we're already looking forward to that after that tiny bit of ice we had yesterday. That was a pain for sure, um, but glad it's gone. Last week, there was a challenge. The challenge was this, this idea of faith in the new year and what it is and, and how God is challenging us in this year. In particular, to, to, to let God be God in this year, to put Him in charge, fully in charge of everything uh, that goes on in our lives, to allow Him to change us in this new year. It's a difficult challenge. If, if you're here with us today, but you haven't yet committed fully your life to Christ, and, and we know there's people watching every week that haven't done that yet, then our prayer is for God to open your mind and your heart to the possibility of Jesus. That's all we're asking is just for the possibility to just consider that maybe, just maybe, God wants this for you, because once he gets in, man, he's got incredible things in store for you. A challenge in this new year for us as the body of Christ to gather together and to officially declare that Jesus is the most important thing that we have in common as the body of Christ. Nothing else can get in the way of that. No matter what challenges come our way, no matter difficulties, no matter what crazy ideas God puts in store for us, we agree that Jesus is first above everything else, and that is all that we need. That is the thing that binds us together. And so today I begin with a question. It's a hard question, I won't lie. Where is your faith? Now, that's a deep question to start off with. I get it. So just, just don't, Pastor, that's pretty bold to start with. Yeah, Pastor, you're kind of prying. Yeah, no, I'm not. I promise. It is a personal question. It is a bold question. But here's the thing. It's actually not my question at all. It's one that we're going to get from the text today that Jesus asks of us. But I want to put it out there right now for you 
So you can maybe consider, where is your faith? Like, where does it stand right now? Where do you stand in your relationship with God? You see, if someone were to come alongside of you this next seven-day period between now and next Sunday and follow you around in your life and watch how you live, where you go, what you watch, what you read, how you respond and react to the events of life and to people around you, they probably could tell where your faith is. And it's long been said that if someone were to take a look at your financial transactions, they could really tell where your faith is located. We need to be able to answer this question as believers, for sure. Now, the problem is we all know the right answer, right? Oh, I know where my faith, my faith is in Jesus Christ alone, absolutely, just like the song says. We know what the answer should be, but are we lying to ourselves? If you're not yet a believer, it's a great question to ask, because here's the thing, what is your faith in, even if you're not a believer? Because we all have faith in something. So where does it lie now if it's not in Jesus Christ? Now, this week, we, we got a lot of texts. Actually, next week, too, Dave and I were talking about that. It's probably a good thing when there's a lot of biblical text at the heart of a sermon, don't you think? We think that's a good thing. I mean, it's probably what we should rely on as we get going. So let's dive in. Each of these two miracles today will continue to identify Jesus, the reveal who he truly is. In the first, Jesus has been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been performing miracles in that region of Galilee. He's developed a big old gigantic following, audience traveling from town to town, just like last week that we covered when he shows up to raise that widow's son. There's a group of people that followed him out of one town and on to the next. Now, we kind of think we know why he left Galilee. It indicates in one of the other gospels that they're leaving to get away from the crowd for just a little bit. Jesus did that. He did that quite often. But he also might have been leaving because there were some very important lessons in store for the disciples that they had to learn, and there was only one way to do it. And Jesus's timing is absolutely perfect. It still is. He knew exactly what was ahead for the disciples, what he was preparing them for. So what happens here is really weird. He calls them to get into the boats. Luke doesn't mention this, but Matthew and Mark do. Not only do the disciples and Jesus get into one boat, but a whole bunch of that crowd begins filling other boats to follow Jesus and the disciples across the lake. I want you to imagine that for a moment. It's like there were a bunch of groupies. Think about it. Would you blindly get into a boat as night approaches, having no idea where this person is going off to? Would you do that, or would you go home to where you live, where your family is, and everything else? It's crazy to think about these people following Jesus, especially if you consider the events of the story. If you know the story of Jesus calming the storm, did you know there were other boats out in the water with them? What did those people think? <laughs> what were they? Why did we follow this guy? What is going on? Here's the thing. They get in the boat. Jesus is tired. Right? These are young men, but young men, several of which have been trained, fishermen. They know the sea well. Jesus knows this. He gets a pillow, literally. He gets a cushion, and he lays down, and he goes to sleep as the story unfolds. Luke 8 is where we're at today. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet today, Luke chapter 8 is where we'll be at. Verse 22 is where we're starting. The first story is very short-lived, but a lot of impact to it. It begins with verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And I'm going to pause there just for a second to remind you of the implications of what's on the other side of the lake. The disciples did not want to go to the other side of the lake. There was nothing good on the other side of the lake that was not their people. They did not belong there. 
They avoided that region at all costs. They had no desire to go to the other side of the lake. So when Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, it wasn't like, okay, yeah, that'll be fun. Let's go do that. They didn't want to go to begin with. But they got in the boat, they sailed, and Jesus fell asleep. It says a squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. That's not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. It resides well below sea level, and there's mountains all around. The cold air from the mountains comes down into the nice warm desert air that the Sea of Galilee is in, and you get these storms that erupt on this lake. It still happens today. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm, and he asks, Where is your faith? In fear and amazement, they ask one another, Who is this man? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, three of the four Gospels record this miracle. One of the authors was in the boat. His name was Matthew. The other author, Mark, probably got most of his information from Peter, who was also in the boat that day. So both of those accounts include just a little bit more of what had happened in the boat. Matthew records that this furious storm came out of nowhere. Now, Matthew was a city boy. He was a tax collector. He hadn't been out on the Sea of Galilee. He'd never experienced probably in his life one of these storms before. He was certainly frightened to death. Mark records it from the fisherman's perspective. The winds drove the waves over the side of the boat, and the boat was beginning to sink. Very practical, very realistic. They knew what was going on, and they weren't excited about it. But Jesus, well, Jesus was sleeping. Now, I know as a kid, do you remember this story as a kid? Who was in church as a little kid? And you remember teaching this little story. Does anybody remember that from your childhood? I do. I do. My mom, how many times did you teach that lesson? I mean, my goodness, it was a part of the rotation, right? In the twos and threes class even. Did you ever stop and go, how on earth? Would, it, it's carrying these grown men to death, and Jesus is just like chilling, taking a nap. How does that work? Well, if you're a light sleeper, you might not think it's possible. Is there any way you could sleep through a storm like that? Let's be realistic. Is this story fictitious? No. No, it's not. Because remember, if you were as tired physically and spiritually exhausted as Jesus was in that moment, oh, you could have slept some of you have been there in life because things have happened to you, and you finally got that moment to rest, and you know how tired you were, and you slept. We've got to remember that Jesus was fully human, and he was performing these supernatural signs and wonders and all this teaching, pouring himself out to the people, but there was a physical cost to that to him. He couldn't sustain that forever. He had to rest. He had the limitations of a physical body to deal with. He was exhausted. All the human strength and energy he had to withstand those pressures from every single day. So when he got the opportunity to rest, he certainly did. I envision a mom of a couple toddlers when, when they, they finally, finally go, go down, down for their nap or they go to bed early one day and mom just crashes right? You couldn't wake. You know what I'm talking about. That's what happened for Jesus. Plus, Jesus had something else going for him. What often keeps us from being able to sleep restfully is fear. Yet, Jesus didn't have any fear. No fear whatsoever at all. Remember, perfect love casts out fear. He possessed the perfect love of his Father perfectly. <laughs> There was no fear in him to sleep, even through a storm. That just wasn't a problem for Jesus. The disciples, of course, had no way of understanding that in him. He's awakened by his disciples, who, as Peg Plus Cat would say, is totally freaking out. All of, every single one of them completely freaking out. 
I think it's a shame that none of the Gospels record who it was that woke him up. Who's the guy that got to go over, Jesus! Like, who did that? We don't know. I wonder, who was the one that did that? But Mark records the full question that was asked of Jesus. They said, and I quote, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? <laughs> Mark 3, 38. Does that seem harsh? Does that seem like a harsh question for the disciples to ask Jesus? They interpreted his sleeping as an act of not caring about the storm or the possible outcome. He preferred to rest instead. Maybe he was playing possum, right? I I guess they never considered um, the outcome, that, that if there was a bad outcome in place, that he too, Jesus, would have been at risk of that same outcome if there was a real threat. They might have also forgotten that even if they all fell overboard and they all drowned, that they uh, have already witnessed him raise the dead. (laughs) So what exactly is their fear? They were scared. And see, like all of humanity, when we get scared, our instinct is to be concerned with numero uno, me, myself, and I. I'm worried about myself. So they challenge Jesus with that question, don't you even care about us? I thought you cared for us. Part of the disciples' fear Part of the confusion, part of the chaos was the suddenness of the storm. It was fine, and then it wasn't. The storm came out of nowhere. Think about your life. Who's ever experienced that before? Have you ever had that happen in your life, that sudden tragedy, that sudden illness, that sudden diagnosis, that tragic breakup in your life? That job loss that hit you out of nowhere. And did you ask, because it wouldn't be an appropriate Jesus, don't you care about what's happening in my life? I want to answer that question before we move on. Um, his answer is, is yes. Yes, he absolutely cares for you. We really can't understand how much he genuinely cares for us, but, but I can share with you just a little. He cares so much that he came and gave his life for you. <laughs> that's, that's what we need to know. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just give his life. He, he actually came back to life. He resurrected once again. Why? So that we could have complete faith and complete hope in him no matter what happens in this life. As a matter of fact, whatever storm, whatever thing that has happened or will happen in the future, because we know they're going to keep coming, he knows, just like this storm with the disciples, it was on its way. And he has a plan to help you pass through that storm. Now, it might not end with the outcome that you or I prefer, but he knows, and he's here. Now, that is so hard to explain to someone that is going through the storms of life, especially if they're not a person of faith, but it can be even when they are. It is so hard to explain that Jesus knows and Jesus is with them and that this storm will, in fact, pass. But here's the thing. If you have been through a storm like that in your life, if you have, then will you please share that with someone else who's going through a storm right now? Because through you, your story can reveal exactly how God is existing, working within their storm right now. You have no idea the importance of your story and the impact it could make. So they awaken Jesus. They they wake the guy up. Poor guy. Mark records Jesus' response more fully. He gets up. He rebukes the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. I kind of envision it like he's talking to a toddler, like, 
come on, knock it off, leave these guys alone. He sends him to a timeout, you know, he sends the, 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 the winds and the waves over to a timeout. Everything immediately stops. Again, I don't think we humans can really, without having been there, grasp the impact of the word immediately. Everything ceased in a moment. The clouds did not gradually fade away. The waves did not slowly subside. The rain did not taper off. When Jesus said, stop, it stopped instantly. It left the disciples possibly standing in the boat. I don't know if they were standing or sitting, staring at that man with their mouths hitting the floor of the boat, the deck of the ship, just staring at him. And then I can envision Jesus turning back around to them like a loving father. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't yell at them. He looks at them lovingly and asks them a genuine question. Remember, they asked him a question, right? Don't you care? He returns with a question, where's your faith? Mark records a little bit more. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? After everything they have witnessed, everything they have seen and heard from this man, do you still have no faith? Now, did the disciples have a reason to be afraid? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. The storm was fierce. It was frightening. They were afraid for their lives. However, unlike every other storm they'd ever had in their entire life prior to this one, they had something new now. They had Jesus. Specifically, they had his presence with them in that boat. In this case, his physical presence with them in that boat. Things were different, but they didn't fully realize it. He was with them in the moment of their fear, but they didn't believe. They didn't believe. They knew. They really believed that that he probably was the Messiah. They believed that he was the Son of God. But when it came time for their faith, their belief to kick in and overcome their fear, what did they choose? Fear. How's that relatable today? (laughs) Look around. If you're a believer and you have the presence of Jesus with you right now, the Spirit of God within you right now, just like the disciples there that night had Jesus' presence with them in the boat. Over the past two years, I think it would be safe to say we have faced some overwhelming issues in our world. Am I right? We have reason to be afraid. Absolutely, we do. We have this virus thing still happening. Maybe you missed it. Probably not. We have some political and some social unrest, even in our very own country, do we not? There is a threat of global and economic issues all around us all the time. I think we could look at it like we're in the boat, and the boat is beginning to take on some water, isn't it? But like the disciples, Jesus is with us. And yes, he looks at us if we're believers today and asks us the same question, where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? Remember, our hope is not in this world or the things of this world. He's not ridiculing us. He just wants us. He loves us so much. He does not want us to live in fear. We have peace within us, not to not be smart, not to not be diligent in preventing and fighting off these things, but he he does not want us to have that fear. He wants us to have his peace. 
And if we begin to tap into that peace in our lives, it will overflow out of us and out of our minds and our hearts and our mouths and our lifestyles. And people will see that and they'll go, you're not living like me. Why? We've got an answer. We've got an answer. We understand that people around us are scared. I get it. That's what they're constantly being fed all around them all the time is fear. Both believers and pre-believers are fearful. I get it. So we got to start with ourselves. It's the only person we can change and answer the question Jesus asked. Where is our faith? Is it fully in him? If not, why? Don't leave it at there. If not, then what can we do to restore that faith? What can we as the body of Christ do to help build that faith up so we can fully trust and fully rely in him? How can we, the church, help grow our faith so the power of Jesus is within us and it can overcome our fear and then be released to others to see? It's an incredible thing. And Jesus asks them this question, and you know what the response was? Silence. They didn't say a word back to Jesus. They did not have an answer for his question. He did record. Um, I envision them just still standing there with their mouths wide open like, what just happened? It does record, though, a little insight. It says they turn to each other and says, hey, uh, yeah, who's that guy? And Mark lets us know that they're terrified. They were terrified and they were amazed at this power that they had just witnessed. You see, a man cannot tell a storm what to do. As much as we would like to, we cannot do that. You can't fake that miracle. Everyone, including the others in the other boats, experienced the storm. They saw what had happened. It was real. They felt it. Now they have to believe it. They don't have a choice. So they're left to ask the question, who is this? Who could this possibly be? Even the winds and the water obey him. Now, if I were one of the guys in the boat, I think it would have been great if Jesus just said, okay, guys, you've probably had enough for tonight. Let's just go ahead back home. Let's get some rest. Then we'll face a new day tomorrow, right? I think that would have been a good idea. Let's go home. Let's regroup. Let's, let's figure out what's next. But of course, you know, that's not Jesus' way. That's not the way he did things at all for them. You see, he had something in store for them. He knew what lied ahead. See, maybe there was a deeper meaning in that miracle for the disciples. The storm was unexpected. How would the disciples handle it? If that were a test, I think we could all agree they failed miserably, right, if Jesus was testing them in that moment. But it wasn't just about the moment. There was so much more. What Jesus showed them through that storm helped prepare them, not just for what lied ahead on the shores, on the other side of the lake, but what they learned helped them prepare for the greatest storm they would ever face when they see their Savior being crucified and taken off that cross. It even helped them prepare for life and ministry after he ascends into heaven in the storms that they would certainly face, most of them to their very death, as they head out to spread that gospel across the world. See, Jesus had things in mind, and he had a little surprise waiting for them on the other side of the lake. Now, when you hear this story, I want you to think about the disciples. I want you to imagine this scenario. What if what if Jesus had put the disciples in the boat over in Galilee and said, all right, you guys go ahead over to the other side. I'll meet you over there later. I just, I just need you to go over to the other side of the lake. So there was no storm in the middle. They just, they just went across and, and headed on over to the other side of the lake. Verse 26 is where we picked up. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from that town. 
For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in tombs. When they saw Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice. Now, oftentimes when you hear the account, now I was thinking about this a lot as I read this passage over and over this week. When you hear about these demons interacting with Jesus, I always wonder what stance did they take before their creator? When we hear the word shout, we, or we see it portrayed, we usually see this evil, vile, harsh voice coming out of people toward Jesus before he casts them out. But I don't, I have a hard time believing that. They know who Jesus is. They know they're completely subjected to whatever he says. There has to be an element of awe and wonder and fear in their voice before Jesus. So while they might have shouted at the top of their lungs through this man, there was an element there that would have understood their role before the man that they were talking to. And it's always fascinating to me that immediately they always recognize him. Of course they do. They've been with him for however long ago it was when he created them. They know exactly who Jesus is. Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torture me. They're begging for their very own existence. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained and hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by a demon into solitary places. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And, the, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus to let them go to the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out, the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off. They ran back to town. They reported to everybody what they had seen and heard that day. The people went out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those people who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, and all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. He got into the boat, it says, and he left, but Luke records one other little element, verse 38. The man from whom the demons had begged out begged, 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 begged Jesus to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for them. Now, there's so many things that happen in this scene. We don't have time to cover them all, so we're just going to pick a few. Let's go back to the disciples. If they had rode up without Jesus on that shore at that point in this ministry and confronted, been confronted by this man on their own, I think they would have gotten right back in the boat, rode right back across the lake and said, Jesus, what were you thinking sending us over there? What's going on? This is crazy. You see, I mentioned earlier this region of the lake. You've got to understand how, mm, I don't want to use some words, but how impossible it was for Jews to go through that area. They avoided it at all cost. They avoided the entire region. They went around it out of their way to get to places they need to go just to stay away from those parts around the lake. It is quite possible, even likely, that most of the disciples had never, ever been in that region before. They feared the region. They feared the people of the region. They feared the evil things that they heard happen, rumors, in that region. And when they show up, what happens? 
All of their fears that they could have possibly ever had, their worst nightmare was standing right before them on the lake, just like they thought would happen. A man that no one could restrain, a man that immediately knew and recognized Jesus for who he was, the son of the most high God. And what did Jesus do? He immediately has compassion on this man who has no idea. The man, not the demons, the man had no idea who Jesus would have been. Jesus frees that man. The disciples, amazed, just like before, the demons flee and the pigs, they're destroyed. The people of the community heard what happened, came running out to see what on earth was going on. But instead of rejoicing for the man that had been healed, whose life had been restored, instead of praising the man who restored him, they politely asked Jesus to uh, get on out of here, would you, sir? We don't have a clue who you are or what you're doing. They were scared to death. Sound familiar? It's the exact same reaction that the disciples had in the boat. Who is this man? Here's why they're afraid. Here's why people today will be afraid of Jesus. If you don't understand who he is and where his power comes from or what he has come to do with that power, I understand your fear because his power could be taken out in a very negative way, possibly, because you don't know who he is or where he came from on you. So you're fearful of him, but of course that is not what he desires. That's where we come in, to tell people about who he is so they begin to understand him differently. Now, I love the story. David said this was one of his favorite miracles recorded in all of Scripture. The reason I love the story is because of the end. I've always wondered, how would it have been different if instead of them saying, hey, Jesus, (laughs) they said, hey, Jesus, come back to town with us. Tell us more about who you are. But that's not how this miracle ends. It ends in a very, very different way. The man that was healed, he instantly understands. He has a grasp on who Jesus is and what he had done. So he begs Jesus. You can see him on the shore as the boat pulls away, begging Jesus to go, can I please just go with you? I want to leave this life behind, old life behind. I want to start this new life with you. I owe everything to you. You've restored me fully. He was grateful. He wanted to work for Jesus, if you will. He owed him everything. And Jesus said, no. What? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. This man owed Jesus his very own life. He wanted to give it back to Jesus, and Jesus said, no. Someone willing to devote his fully, complete life, leave all of his old life behind, come and follow Jesus, and Jesus turns him away? Not exactly. Not exactly. Remember, Jesus has a purpose here. He sent him away, but he sent him with a very specific instruction, return home, And tell everyone how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He he just tells the man, basically, hey, it's way better, way better for you to go home and to tell everyone you know about me and what I did. Because right now, man, it's really obvious that none of these people really want to hear from me. (laughs) They're kind of scared of me. So they don't want to hear about Jesus from Jesus, but maybe, just maybe, they can hear about Jesus through you and your story. Maybe your story can lead people to Christ. Now, here's something that's really cool. I found this actually a few years ago when studying this passage, and you may or may not have connected the dots. If you have, great. If you haven't, I get two for you. There is an awesome ending to this story, but it's not recorded in Luke. Yeah, you got to piece the puzzle together. It's recorded in Matthew 15, beginning of verse 32, and it's recorded in Mark chapter 8, verse 1, and it's too good not to share it with you. 
You see, a while later, Jesus returns to the same region. Some scholars actually think this took place at the exact same spot where this man was healed and those pigs ran off a cliff. What happened was, the next time Jesus returned to this region, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people flocked to hear him speak. The text says that they were so feeding off his every word that they went three days without any food of their own. All of a sudden, the same people that sent Jesus away out of fear for him not only welcomed him back, but they longed, they gave up food for three days just to hear the man speak. Now, in your scriptures, this is the second feeding. It's not the feeding of the 5,000 that we'll talk about here soon. It's the feeding of the 4,000, 4,000 men plus women and children. So you're looking at probably 10 to 12,000 people that attended that event. Why? Why the turn of events? Why did that happen? Why did so many people come to see this guy that they were all afraid of? Have you ever wondered? I can tell you. There was a man that Jesus healed, that he sent home, and guess what he did? He told everybody, and they had to believe him because he was a crazy naked man running around a cemetery, and now they see him, and he's not. They had no choice but to go, who is this man? We want to hear more One man who told his story. Did that man know everything about Jesus? (laughs) No. He knew who he was, and he knows who he is, and he knows Jesus is the difference. That's all he had to share. And that's all we got to share, too. (laughs) One community could be changed by your story as well. Don't hesitate to share it. As we finish today, the questions for us, where where is my faith right now? Is it fully in Jesus Is there something holding you captive today? I pray that it's not demons, but you know what? It could be. It could be. Those are still real. And we still have the power to cast them out in Jesus' name. That hasn't changed. Is there a sin that's binding you? Is there something from your past that's weighing you down because Jesus longs to free you just like that representation of that man possessed by demons? He wants to free you right now. Don't wait another moment. We're welcome at any moment of any day to come before him and lay it all out before him. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not afraid of your guilt. He's not afraid of your shame. As a matter of fact, he embraces them. And not only does he embrace them, but he embraced them and he put them on his shoulders and he carried them to the cross. They are no more. That's impossible for us to comprehend. I get that. We have a memory. We remember things. We all have a hard time letting go, but all I can tell you is he doesn't. He doesn't in any way. It seems impossible that he could ever forgive or love us. I don't like that word impossible because there's a negative connotation to it. So I want to flip it since we're talking about miracles. It seems miraculous that he could forgive us and love us. And so are you willing to embrace that miracle for yourself? Will you share that miracle with those that you know? He longs for us to be free so that we can live this life to the fullest for him. Think of the man in this miracle. Jesus freed him, and then he sent him out to carry the banner of his love to anyone that would listen. And it appears a few thousand did. From this man, this man that used to be chained up, broken chains, naked, and living in a cemetery. Now, I know some of us have some done some... Uh, 
interesting things in the past, possibly, maybe some things that we're not proud of, I'm going to have a really hard time believing it was anything beyond that. I'm just saying, I'm going to have a hard time believing you if you tell me you did something worse than that. He welcomes us. He welcomes us just as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay the same. And we got to remember, so that in that new year, he has a plan for you. It's a great plan. It's a perfect plan because he's the one that's designed it. He wants, to, wants you to place your faith fully in him this year. Maybe you've always had faith in him, but it's not fully there yet. That's what he longs for. Leave behind the fear. Maybe. Let's just be honest. There's some people in the room like, you know, I don't really struggle with those things. I don't really struggle with that fear, that anxiety that a lot of people have. Okay, that's great. God's not done with you, though, if you're not struggling with those things. How is he changing you right now? How do you feel him changing you right now? How are you allowing him to change you right now? How is he challenging you right now in this new year? I know there are people that see things like those classes that we're going to have, and you're like, man, I really should get involved with something like that. I really, he's challenging you right now. Are you going to step up and answer the call to be challenged. He wants you to grow. He wants you to change. He wants you, this is crazy talk, he wants you to get to know the people in this room around you that you do not know. There are people in this room you have not met yet. Absolutely they are. So the question is, who do you need to invite to lunch? Who do you need to meet for coffee this next week to just get to know them? You have the most important thing on planet Earth in common. His name is Jesus. So don't think you don't have something to talk about. Because you do, that's number one. That's number one. He wants us to grow closer to him than we've ever been before. He wants us to move to be this community of God that he plans, that he designs, and we all get to be a part of it. And who gets to join us? That's the excitement of it. God has placed all of us here on purpose and for a purpose, and we need you to share your story just like this man did. We need to share your love for Jesus. We need you to share your gifts, your skills, your abilities, your talents with the body of Christ here. We need you to answer the call to serve. Absolutely everyone needs to serve within the body of Christ in some capacity. It's not enough to just let your spouse be on this team or that team. You need to step up and serve as well. We all have to answer the call to be more generous. You know, I know, we want to add another staff member. That, that's going to take finances to do that, to make sure that we have the budget to continue that on. We know that's God, what God wants for us. We have to step up and be more generous and provide for that. It's okay. It's okay to be challenged in those ways. There's a tremendous hope in this new year for the believer if our faith and hope is in the right place. But there's a tremendous faith and hope for this world as well, if their hope is in the right place. We know where that place is. We get to share it. Father God, as we come before you, these two incredible miracles that, that maybe some of us have heard growing up, we've, some of us have heard our entire lives And so they just become these stories that we just associate, and we forget about the real people and the real emotions and the real impact that these events had on the individuals themselves. Father, let those miracles have the same impact on us today, whether we're going through a storm and we need to feel your presence and we cry out to you in the midst of our storm. Father, allow those people that are experiencing that storm right now to feel your very real presence in their lives. We're confident. We know that you are there 
Allow them to experience you. Father, and if we've been through those storms in the past, as so many of us have, don't let us be shy with our stories. Let us go to those that are struggling. Go to those that have lost loved ones. Go to those that have lost jobs, lost friends, lost spouses. Let us go to those people struggling with cancer or other illnesses. Let us go to them and share how you brought us through those storms. Let us encourage one another as we're called to do. Father, if there are things in this world binding us, holding us back, I pray that we can rely fully on your strength to cast out whatever that is, to cast off those chains, to free us from the bondage of sin, of guilt, of shame, to allow us to live this life for you. And Father, if we're killed captive by the fear that this world is propagating and promoting, Father, the world does, I I don't think we understand that the world does that on purpose because the world wants us to come to rely on it for the answers. And as every one of those answers fails, we look for the next answer from the world and we'll never, ever find what we're looking for. The only answer is Jesus. The only place with no fear is in you. That's where we need to be today. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.